Today on The Full Life, an amazing show that I just love, a dynamic show with two amazing guests with beautiful ministries on the border. You won't want to miss their testimonies. Hello, welcome to The Full Life, the show where we hope you live every day in the fullness of life that God wants you to live. And if you're not, we hope that we help you do that this day and every day and every week that you have. Uh, this, of course, is the show where we come together to talk about all the issues at the intersection of our faith and our culture and how we could navigate them together. And today we're going to talk about immigration. But before we start that, we always start with our encouraging word for the day. And today it's coming from Hank. I was just thinking about the, um, the everything that Jesus went through. He rides into town and enters as a king um, in the middle of the Passover with pilgrims from all over the world. And this great celebration where people threw cloaks on the ground and palm branches, all celebrating him as a conqueror and, and a king. But yet he leaves as a criminal. He's betrayed and thinking about how in betrayal, it cuts deeper. Well, it's only possible from, from the people we know. Um, and it cuts deeper the, the more well-known you are. Think about how Jesus was hunted, was arrested, was beaten, suffered, and crucified. Thinking about the Last Supper and implementing not only communion and the table to come, but reminding us that his body would be broken and his blood would flow. Um, but where I want to kind of take us back to is Gethsemane. If you remember that scene, Jesus is off praying and the disciples are trying their best and they keep falling asleep. And he talks about how the, the flesh, um, the spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. But what I want us to hold on to when we think about Gethsemane going forward is, you know, in essence, to me, this is one of the most human aspects of Jesus. You know, this is Jesus in his full humanity. He knows what's going to happen. He predicted it. He's gone through this week of ups and downs and everything. Yet when he gets to Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but your will be done. And so my encouraging word to us this morning is to one, remember that our Jesus came for us. Remember that God came and not only dwelled and showed us how to live in love, but he literally came to suffer all these things and triumph. But also remember that no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it seems, that simple prayer of giving it not only to God, but saying, not my will, but your will be done, um, can end up in God not only strengthening you to face whatever you're facing, but to remember the example of Jesus and to remember that we don't get to Resurrection Sunday without Good Friday evening. To remember that sometimes we have to take up our cross, yes, but also that we have to lay things down. So I pray that you're encouraged by not only what Jesus suffered, but the fact that Jesus triumphed. And I hope that you know that God desires for you to triumph as well and placing your trust in him and committing your life by saying, not my will, but your will be done, will not only need to encouragement, but much fruit and abundant life. God bless you. That motivated me. That encouraged me. So I hope it did for you too. Um, I love that moment in Gethsemane. It's just one of the, the moments that speaks to me the most. And with that, I'm going to bring everybody in and we're going to intro today's guest. Rondell Trevino is the founder and director of the Immigration Coalition, a faith-based nonprofit providing clean drinking water to immigrants and migrants at the southern border and biblically balanced resources on immigration that show compassion to immigrants and respect for the rule of law. 
Brondell speaks on issues of immigration and engaging in politics from a biblical perspective at churches, organizations, and conferences around the United States. Rondell is happily married to Laura and is the proud father of Sophia and Charlotte. Please welcome to the show, Rondell Trevino. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome, Rondell. How y'all doing? So good to have you. Thanks We've for joining talking. us today. We've been talking for so here. long. I'm so excited this is finally happening <laughs> because I am very inspired by the ministry you're doing at, at the border and, and to help immigrants and migrants there. And I think that's the perfect place to start. Uh, tell us what the Immigration Coalition is in more depth and what you've been able to achieve since you've started. Yeah, so one, I'm, I'm excited to be uh, on with, with you all. And um, like you said, Joseph, we've been talking back and forth. So it's, it's exciting to, to be as close as in person as we can be. But yeah, so I'm the founder of the Immigration Coalition. Uh, we primarily provide clean drinking water to Latino immigrant, migrant, and asylum seekers uh, in the U.S. and along the southern border in Coloniac communities. Uh, Coloniac communities are identified as uh, uh, communities where there are hardly any resources, uh, one of them being uh, clean and safe drinking water, either uh, clean or or uh, running cold water or hot water or uh, sewage problems or uh, plumbing issues. Um, these are uh, individuals out there, mothers, fathers, uh, sons and, uh, and daughters and babies and infants, pregnant mothers living in these communities uh, on the Mexico side of the border and also in, in colonial cities and little towns uh, on the uh, primarily in the Rio Grande Valley uh, along the Texas uh, border. And so they lack resources, they lack water. Um, and so we, we identify them and we come in, we build a relationship with uh, the community leaders for long-term sustainability. As an organization, we wanna go in, we don't wanna say, hey, we're the Immigration Coalition, we know what you need. Uh, for long-term sustainability, we wanna build a relationship with community leaders uh, maybe even an organization in the local community who we can come alongside and say, how can we fully fund and provide clean drinking water with your help together on the ground on behalf of uh, these people created in God's image. And so we've been doing that. We started around a year ago. Our organization is about two years old, but a year ago we restructured and uh, that's primarily what we've been doing. And God has been uh, tremendous in blessing our organization in our ministry uh, to provide clean water. And it's been amazing to be able to provide it for, for so many. We've been able to uh, serve already in the last year, 10,000 plus families, 20,000 plus people in total with clean water. Uh, and we also provide around six to 7,000 gallons of clean water every week. Uh, and in total, we've been able to provide around 150,000 gallons um, of clean water. So God has been great and water has been utilized. Uh, oftentimes these individuals and these families, they don't just use the water to drink. They use the water to, uh, to clean, uh, to stay clean in the midst of COVID-19. They use the water to cook with. Um, and so uh, they use the water to even take showers with. Uh, and so uh, the water is being used in multiple ways, but it's been an amazing journey for us. And we're just really excited to continue the work and to continue to identify communities in need. 
It's cool to hear you talk. Um, it's obvious to see you're very passionate about the work that you do, um, which is amazing. Uh, it's a need. It's a way to spread the kingdom. But I just wonder if you could share a little bit with us um, about the story, about how you came up with this idea for ministry, or just really how Jesus called you and how God's called you and empowered you to, to, to do this work. Yeah, I, I speak on immigration from a oftentimes from a political perspective in the sense of helping uh, when it comes to uh, uh, implementing better border security or implementing more compassion. Uh, our organization, especially myself, uh, we talk about being biblically balanced. What does it look like to show compassion to immigrants, but also at the same time seek to respect the rule of law in the sense of pursuing immigration reform? Oftentimes, I feel like Christians can wrestle with feeling like they have to choose between one or the other when it's really both and. And I think we can live in, within that tension. It's easy to be on one side or the other. It's harder to live in that tension and try to figure it out because it is hard <laughs> to have those conversations, but they're really needed. And so we were heavily, you know, two years ago, really talking about this. We still talk, to, talk about it to some degree um, on the importance of immigration reform uh, from a policy perspective. Uh, but oftentimes I would get uh, messages from folks who said, you know, I just don't want to just, you know, get involved by just calling my representative. Oftentimes that's all you can do, uh, even though even though what we've seen with you know, what's going on in the migrant shelters, there's just not that much uh, we can do in the sense of only just calling a representative. So what we said is how can we help Christians who are conservative, progressive, Democrat, Republican, whatever it may be, but under the and, and centered in Jesus, how can we give them an opportunity to to care for immigrants, migrants, and asylum seekers uh, in a practical yet powerful way? Um, and when we moved here, my family moved here to Austin a year ago. Around this time uh, in in March, uh, we I started to 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 research what is a, a way that we can serve uh, these communities along the border. And I came across obviously organizations like Charity Water and organizations that are doing really good work with providing water in, in other countries, specifically Africa. And I was just really inspired. And then I asked myself the question, um, is, is there something like this uh, specifically focused to uh, Latinos, immigrants, migrants, and asylum seekers along the border? And is this a need? And so we started doing research as an organization and we started reading papers published from uh, professors such as Dr. Moya from El Paso, uh, different professors around the Rio Grande Valley. And there are several studies out there that, that, that have identified these colonial communities along the U.S.-Mexico border on both sides of the border that needed water. And so we said, okay, well, maybe this is something we can jump in and try to serve these people and care for them. And so we went down to the border. Uh, we went specifically to the tent camp in Matamoros that is now processed uh, by God's grace. It was just processed recently, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and we went there and, and the tent camp was in need of clean water. And so we, we said, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's come alongside them and let's provide clean water. And so by God's grace, we, we started providing water. We didn't know what we were really doing. And, and uh, we were able to provide water for them. Uh, for the last eight months, and now we've just transitioned out, and we've been able to identify several more communities uh, along the U.S.-Mexico border. There are 13 million plus Latinos, immigrants, migrants uh, living along the U.S.-Mexico border in colonial communities on the Mexico side and the U.S. side. 
in, in need of basic resources, one being clean water. Um, and so we've been able to serve thousands, but there, we're just scratching the surface and trying to advocate and provide clean water for them and love them. We hear so much about, you know, the border in the news, in the media. What mm -hmm. could you share with us that maybe would surprise us or, you know, that would be different? Because, again, we see what we see, depending on whether we watch, you know, what news program we watch, we see a perspective, we see a narrative. And it's, again, it's usually agendized. And we really need to see the truth about what you're seeing. Yeah, I, I would say it, it, it definitely depends on um, uh, many people have to be enlightened depending on what they prefer when it comes to politics in the sense of if you're a Republican, you're naturally going to think, you know, everything on respectfully uh, the conservative news outlets are saying about immigration, which is the borders are open, it's flooded, there's people coming left and right. The truth of the matter is there are, it is being flooded in some capacity with migrant children coming, unaccompanied minors, parents, um, uh, which is some degree, there's some truth there. Uh, but at the same time, what's surprising is helping educate people to understand that the borders aren't just open and the doors are open and anybody can just run in the country. There's no, that's not, that's not truthful. Um, even the, yeah, even, even the USCIS have come out with statistics saying that right now, they're allowing unaccompanied minors to come. We've seen that tremendously. What would you do if there was a child at the border? Kick them back out? I mean, that's the complexity there. And then you've seen parents and many families, especially single adults, they have been the ones who've been left behind in uh, the border and not allowed into the country. And so there is some kind of understanding when it comes to these policies uh, going on right now. The, the biggest thing I would tell people is the reason why we've been able to provide clean water is we've been able to bring that human factor in the conversation. Providing water for a right. human being, I've never met a Republican, I've never met a Democrat, I've never met a politically homeless or libertarian uh, who has come up to me and said that person doesn't deserve water. Because oftentimes, like you said, Jenny, it's become a political issue rather than these are people creating God's image now, does that mean we just let everybody in the country? No, of course not. There's it, it, that's that's hard. That, that doesn't make sense to 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 many uh, to many, and it doesn't make sense as a country. Um, but we can still humanize the issue. And what you have said is profound. Even though we're humanizing the issue as a as a as an organization, and we're helping the narrative to see these people as creating the image of God. The issue at hand is what it, I think surprises people, and is an opportunity for people that are looking at what's going on, what should surprise people, sadly, it shouldn't be a surprise, but it is, is what we have seen during respectfully, uh, respectfully uh, President Trump's uh, uh, era under his administration, and even under the current Biden administration with the influx of immigrants, with trying to figure out what's going on with these extreme narratives, is it's, it's, it has been not the Democrats' fault, not the Republicans' fault about immigration, it has been all sides <laughs> fault when it comes yeah. to this issue. There is a fault for years. The immigration system has been broken for 30 plus years. We've yeah. had democratic presidents. We've had Congress in control from the democratic party. We've had the Republican control where they controlled the house and the Senate and they still didn't get nothing done. And oftentimes I wrestle with thinking, I you think you mentioned a little bit, Jenny, 
it's almost like if you don't have that issue, then how are you going to get a vote, right? So you do a little bit to help the issue, but if you aren't gonna, if you didn't have immigration as an issue, a lot of congressmen and senators, oftentimes I believe, it's all about pleasing their constituents rather than helping humans at the border and caring for the American people. And so we have to, that's why I believe the church is so important. Christians are so important to this conversation because we don't beat to the, the drum of Congress and senators and the Republican party and Democratic party. We beat to the drum of God's principles, which means when we say, I can provide water at the border in San Luis, Mexico, and I'm loving them. And at the same time, someone can say, oh, you're providing this water. You must be for open borders. No, no, I'm for, I'm for border security too. It'll push them away like, whoa, you're helping these people, but you're for That's border security because at the same time I'm saying, as I'm helping these people created in God's image with water, there is a percentage of people who are human and trafficked, who are drug trafficked into this country. And we need a better, better policy to keep yeah. that stuff out. When we speak of that narrative as Christians, people are, we're, we're actually bringing light into the dark world when it comes to this issue of immigration. Are we willing to do that? And I pray as we continue to talk about these issues, which I'm thankful this show is talking about it, how can we uh, re really uh, adopt that in the church and have these conversations and be willing to talk about it? What I loved about, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, was that you know a lot of times we hear, no, the church should be in charge of this, and then no, the government should be in charge of this. On either side of the aisle, there's that argument. But what I love what you've been able to do is you've gone down and said, we're here to help, but you work with the government and you work with government officials. Uh, I wonder how did that come about and is it, was that hard to do? Yeah, it has, yeah, it has been difficult. Um, you know, oftentimes, especially as a Mexican American who doesn't speak as much Spanish as I should, um, <laughs> going into when, when you, one of the biggest approaches that we try to take is when we had, there's always an immediate need. So when we find these communities in need of water, I can't, I can't afford to have, you know, seven, eight conversations over six months with no water in these communities. We always try to implement, how do we provide water to them right now, either through filtration systems, uh, paying, we, we, we have kind of taken the route of paying water companies, local companies in the cities, in the towns to put money into the economy itself. This is not Africa. There's not another country where there's no jurisdiction. Oftentimes, these colonial communities are on the outskirts of these cities, and it's really hard to get uh, permission to build wells and things of that sort. So you have to work with the city to provide the clean water. And so, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a journey for us. But that's one of our biggest approaches. We, we want to provide water, and then we want to build a relationship with the local communities to say, and local officials say, we're providing water, this is your jurisdiction. Is there any kind of way, these are your people, that these are your constituents, is there any kind of way you can extend or apply some kind of program to build piping or, or better sewage for them to at least have tap water um, in, their, in their community? Um, and so it's, it's, been a, it's been an interesting journey and it takes time. I've definitely learned that it's not it's not a one time conversation. It's an ongoing conversation with with the city officials to help us uh, see these people as created in God's image who are worthy of help and, and attention because oftentimes they're in the shadows.
I was just wondering um, if you could share with us maybe some of the goals that you still want to accomplish, um, and then what is your vision for the Immigration Coalition in the future? Yeah, our, our, I'll put those together. Our vision is for every Latino immigrant and migrant along the U.S.-Mexico border um, and in many of the areas in the U.S. of that we get emails from all the time in Latino communities to have access to clean water every day. Um, it, we believe it's a human right. I mean, Jesus talks about, uh, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Welcomed me. I was uh, thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Uh, and so as we, we see the life of Jesus in these folks, um, if we're providing water for them, then, and we're, and our goal is to, then our goal is to one day, uh, sit down and say, everyone, everyone along the U S Mexico border, Latinos, immigrants, and migrants have access to clean water. And, and this is what they deserve. So those are, that's our goal. That's our vision. And it also means it's going to be a, it's a tough vision to tackle, which is a vision that I feel, and I pray that when God takes me home, uh, the work that we do will continue and we'll continue to do this until Jesus comes back to make all things new. We started to talk about it and, and I wanted to kind of open the discussion a little bit because I know you speak on the politics on a very balanced way about how to approach this. And, and not that we have all the answers, and it's sort of dutiful, or two things I want to get at is how do we see a how do we see a path forward? Maybe, or what things do you notice that both sides or potentially either either side can do? And then, what does the church do? Do they do they continue giving water, giving resources? Is there something else the church can do? And then I'll you know I'll start with you, Rondell, and we can have a discussion. Yeah, well, I've, I've always thought that re Republicans and, con uh, you know, Democratic progressive Christians on both sides need each other because when they when you think about, uh, uh, you know, immigration, oftentimes it's coupled with justice, right? Biblical justice. And oftentimes more of your Republican Christians on one side believe that biblical justice only means punishment for wrongdoing. And then the other side believes it's care and concern when it's actually both and. It's a both and for us when it comes to this issue of immigration. Republicans continue to harp on border security, border security, border security, and that's true. So we need to sit at the table and what they bring to the table is understanding, well, there is a way, we need to love our American neighbors. We need to care for them, uh, but it has to be in a healthy way, right? It can't be extreme, extreme far right. And then on the other side, Republicans need Democratic Christians who have compassion for those uh, who are seeking asylum, for those at the border who need love and need care, especially children and un unaccompanied minors. So if they were able to come together, which is the goal of the democratic process <laughs> with Republicans and Democrats, is to come together and use both our strengths and see each other as in a way that they are right. There is a need for border security. Oh, they're all right. There is a need for compassion. Let's have a bipartisan approach to immigration reform that does both. And then the figuring out the logistics that go with that is, is a way forward for us as, as a country. And it's possible. It really is possible. And I think the church, the church, the church's job is that we continue to speak out. We continue to call our representatives we continue to to partner with organizations even like ourselves that provide 
clean water. There are other organizations out there that, you know, provide food and clothing and things of that sort uh, on a practical level to, 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 to just love and care for these people along the border in, in need. And I really wish we could get to the place of being bipartisan. It frustrates me. You know, um, when, when Donald Trump became president, I, I was not a fan. I've said that before on the show. Um, I I grew to actually respect and appreciate like where some people kind of grew the opposite. You know, I shared that. But I, even though I wasn't, I remember when I, like I said, I was in Israel and I saw all the people going, the cages that Donald Trump built for children, the mm-hmm. cages. And all I did was Google it. I'm over in Israel, separated emotionally from the politics and went, wait, those cages were built in 2014. And people, no, no, they weren't. It doesn't matter. That's beside the point. And I'm like, no, that was the point you were making. And and everybody suddenly cared because they hated Donald Trump about the cages. But on the flip side, a year or two ago, you yeah. didn't see Christians really caring. But now because the guy that they don't like is in office, I just got to be honest about it. I, I felt it was a little hypocritical and I don't know what's going to what it's going to take. But I really think it is absolutely going to need to be out of the political spectrum to make this, this, this yeah. become I mean, you, Yeah, you speak, I say this often, political allegiance is blinding. And oftentimes both congressmen and senators on both sides uh, wrap their identity and hope in, in their political party that all they do is they see everything labeled a, on, the, on the opposing party as a problem. Right. Um, and they never looked themselves in the mirror. And so when you see 18 respectfully white uh, senators going to the border for three days and they're never really there on a consistent basis and they're acting, oh, my gosh, you know, Biden's administration, these kids, they're letting these kids in these cages. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. That's true. I 100 percent agree with you. You're right. Say that again. Keep saying that. That's important. But you didn't say that when Trump was separating families at the border. So there's yeah. an inconsistency because. Your dude is not in office. You're willing to call out now. You want to call it injustice. Yeah. So that's not Christian like, nor is it biblical. Yeah. And then what happens is because Christians and, you know, uh, we see this in society, uh, Christians fall into play and they fall into this identity crisis of believing everything their, their favorite news station says or political party says that they end up doing, we end up doing the same exact thing as opposed to what's the Christian way to do is we should have been calling out the family separation under Trump. And right now we should be calling out Biden's mishandling at the border in many ways. There has been some good for sure. We've been able to process the tent camp in Matamoros, uh, which has been a blessing and there's been families been able to come in, but there also needs to be a better way to approach and calling out both sides, celebrate the good, call out the bad, no matter if you're Republican or not, because we line up, all the things that they do compared to God's word and his kingdom principles. And if they do not line up, I don't care where you come from politically, your primarily primary citizenship is in heaven and your membership is primarily in the church. So because of that, we call them out on a consistent basis, but we don't see that balance. There's also a difference between asylum and, and illegal immigration. Now, asylum I think the system is kind of messed up right now. I think we right. can work on the system, but that is there is a legal process for asylum as I understand it. Yes. I, I know it's a very gray area and I'm sure, like I said, the system, I know that we're working on now, but that is something to note, I, at least so to, for clarification. I think that's great. That's so. great. 
Yes. Yeah, I think this is complicated on many levels. Um, I think part of the complication for us is that we tend to be Americans first rather than Christian. Um, mm. I think that's an honest to goodness truth. Um, I think we tend to worry about the borders when there's a, it's really hard to find something in the Bible that says protect your borders or don't let people in. However, when you come to the immigrant, the stranger, the foreigner, there's probably more in scriptures about loving and caring for the immigrant, the foreigner, and the stranger than Jesus being God. The, the other thing that makes this complicated is that, you know, American history is not necessarily just this narrative of everyone gets to come here. You know, mm. some people have tried the legal way and were denied. Some people yep. are coming because of American policies that we've enacted, you know, or um, their governments we've destabilized or mm. their farmers we've put out of business. Like this thing is complicated. No one sets their child um, in a boat, you know, if it's if it's safe on the shore. No, you yeah. know, so when we think about people coming to the border, it's not just the last resort, but it's really, you know, this chance for freedom, this chance for opportunity, this chance for safety, you know, and I, I, I mm. think that as Christians, we just, we're too comfortable, one, being Americans, we're too comfortable, two, being in our political parties, and we're too uncomfortable to actually listen to what God calls us to do. Mm, that's good. And I think historically, just to put, to tie it in there, it, whoever the next immigrant group was, which was the major influx of immigrants, has always faced uh, has always faced prejudice. I mean, they did that sure. two times when I when I came in. Irish, Irish when I came in. Now you know, and yeah. now now we hear about the border, and that's like the big bad thing that you know that, and and it's just it's happened throughout American history. Mm -hmm. uh, Gangs of New York highlights that a bit. That the uh, the other that really. that quote unquote other yeah. has always been sent that's this is a scary well, thing and, and the even other. the complexity the complexity yeah. of this latino thing is how much of our country used to be mexico you know so it's really oh, interesting people yeah. say protect our borders i was like exactly. california doesn't sound very mm. english yes. you know los angeles doesn't <laughs> yes. sound san diego san francisco texas, san bernardino mexico. texas you know yeah. so it's like i always crack up people like we got to protect our borders i was like did we how do we get those borders like uh -huh. i don't really think we went there and say believe in jesus and give us your country right like so i always find it fascinating people like protect our land i was like is it our land you know so i think that needs to enter the conversation and to kind of push us to grace too for us to realize and recognize that you know and a lot of this changes i mean you can look in the 80s and 90s there was still a time 20 years ago where people would literally come back and forth right like they would come work in the states for the summer and then go back down um but it's when we started kind of implementing policies or or destabilizing governments this became harder and harder to do um mm. so yes yeah, so i just think we need to be more gracious, you know, like this, I, I don't know. I just struggle with that border talk because I don't think our God's a God of borders, right? I want to ask you, what does biblical justice look like? Yeah, I, I would recommend this book uh, from uh, one of my heroes is Timothy Keller. I think he's yes. uh, the modern day C.S. Lewis and everything he writes is absolutely profound. Um, you know, he was, he was talking about biblical justice in like 2012. He was already being prophetic before justice became this thing that is seen as woke or Marxist or whatever it may be. Um, and so I, I, I love his book on called generous justice. I love the way he defines it. I feel like he defines it the most 
biblically centric and balanced way possible when he says biblical justice is giving somebody what they're due, either punishment or protection uh, or care. Uh, it's not one or the other. Uh, it's both. And so uh, biblical justice means caring for the poor and it's, it's caring for those in need. It's literally the picture. Uh, what's fascinating about Luke chapter 25 um, verse, verse 25 to 37 is the, the first 24 verses of that chapter. It's Jesus saying, go out, evangelize, share the gospel, care for the needy, share the gospel. We want them to be in the kingdom of God. And then when you get to the Good Samaritan passage, it's exactly a picture of what biblical justice is all about. Uh, this beaten man on the side of the road, uh, the, the priest and Levi walk by on the other side. Uh, this man is, uh, scholars say he's naked, he's, he's in need. And out of all the people, a Samaritan sees this person and he shows compassion. I mean, that's in the context. It's like a gut-wrenching feeling where he's moved to do something and care for this, this person on the side of the road. And he's moved in such a way he puts him on his own animal. He takes him to an inn. He exhausts his financial and spiritual um, resources to care for this man. And then he says, I'm going to come back tomorrow and check on this dude. That is biblical justice. That's what it looks like. It's caring for the vulnerable. It's seeing those on the ground in need of love and protection and dignity and saying, I'm not too busy to stop what I'm doing and caring for these people. Uh, I love, uh, you know, y'all were talking about we, before we before we get to Sunday, we need to embrace the sorrowful feeling from Monday through Friday and how Jesus was betrayed all throughout the week leading up to dying on the cross for broken sinners like us. Um, and because of that gospel, it motivates us to give drink to the thirsty. It motivates us to care for the prisoner. It motivates us to love these individuals because our Savior did it. I love Romans 5.11, you know, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Not I got right with the law and I stopped sinning and then he died for me. Now he died on the cross for my sin in the midst of how dirty and spiritually nasty I was in my sin. And he redeemed my heart. And because of that, because he got in proximity with me and he saved my soul on a cross, I'm called, therefore, to do the exact same thing and get in proximity with the vulnerable and care for them and to share the gospel and to do all I can, exhaust my life and my resources to care for the vulnerable. Rondell, uh, where can they find information on how to support your uh, your efforts in giving them water at the border? Yes, uh, you can go to the immigrationcoalition.com um, and you'll see everything there, uh, why we do it, the problem, how to provide clean water with us. Um, and, and then also we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, just type in the Immigration Coalition and we'll pop up. Um, and then also myself, Rondale underscore Trevino. We hope that you support this important ministry, just like we care for all the brothers and sisters around us in our own communities. Well, I don't know about you, but when I saw all the kids that were at the border, my first question really was, well, what? what's going to happen to them? You know, what, how, are, how can we take care of these kids? Aside from the politics, aside from all of the different policies, how are we going to take care of these kids? And I was so happy to hear that there was opportunities to uh, foster 
kids that come over the border. And today's next guest is a guest that is actually doing that. So please welcome Betsy Carnes to the show. Betsy. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. And like I said, my heart was just really moved in this way to make sure that these kids were going to be taken care of. And so I just want to know, you know, what was your sort of inspiration or how did you get this motivation to even do this? Well, this has actually been a three year journey for my husband and I. There, there have always been unaccompanied minors that have come through the border. Um, and so three years ago, we were a part of a, a board, if you will, to try to help an organization called Urban Strategies. And a branch of that is called Refugio to help place unaccompanied minors instead of in facilities with foster families and specifically families of faith um, that will love these kids and take care of them. So as many nonprofits go through, they had to get a grant, had to get approved. So we found ourselves this past fall, um, the door opened again, you know, to leave out the whole long story, but it came across our path again. And we finally felt like, you know, we'll never be ready, but we feel like we can do this. We can say yes. And so we just jumped in really just full of faith. And um, that's how we got started. So just thinking of people who may share that passion or inspired by your story, or maybe even just thinking about fostering, um, can you tell us a little bit about the process you had to go through in order to become a foster parent? Yeah, sure. Well, first, my husband and I had to be on the same page. Um, <laughs> and that is, honestly, that's a big deal. And I taught, and I, and I started, um, I, I found mentors. I found people who had walked through that journey and I began asking them questions and saying, okay, tell me what this is like. And, and we really just landed on mm -hmm. Psalm 34, 18. It says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, and, and then we came to Refugio and said, okay, we're ready. So what they do is they partner with an organization, a licensing agent agency here in Texas, a local one. And so we are foster trained through and through by the state of Texas. We could do CPS kids or what they call these children, ORR kids. The Office of Refugee Resettlement is where they come through. So their, their name is ORR kids. But we are specifically only fostering ORR children. But we had to go through the same process that every foster parent has to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think people realize really what uh, an epidemic it is here in America. Now that you're doing this and you're in the process, can you share a little bit of what the experience is like? What is it like for those who are maybe teeter-tottering on doing it? I'm going to always paint the picture as it is. I tell people there are high highs and there are low lows. Yes. When you are when you're caring for a child who has gone through the trauma, who has perhaps walked from the Northern Triangle, who has been in a trailer, who has been taken. And in our case, our minor is quite young. Um, and it's mm. the trauma. So there's triggers, there's behaviors mm -hmm. that come out. And he has really mm. bonded so well with us. And he calls me Tia and he tells me that he loves me. I mean, it's the most precious thing. But with that, the higher the trust, you start to see the behaviors come out more. So I'm not going to wow. sugarcoat this, that 
that this is just you you just take a child in your home and they just tell you every day how grateful they are <laughs> it is not that but to to know when you when you lay there and rub their back as they fall asleep at night knowing they're not in the facility no one is exploiting them and they're safe and and even when they want to throw things or hit you you know you just know I, I had a good friend say this to me and i have i've held to it it says he is not acting out and he is not giving me a hard time he's having a hard time mm. so jesus yes. help me help him get through this and that is just we hold on to and i and i also have said you know if this was my child that something happened and we were separated how would i want that family to love my child okay. so that has just been a very driving factor on the challenging days but let me tell you also the rewards just teaching this child to pray we play spanish worship music and to hear him start to memorize the song and sing them um, there's a sweet little book called Cercano, and it's about God being close to us. And he has that book memorized now, and we'll send that off when Reunification Day comes. And, and so you are setting, you are looking at reunification. So the goal is is reunification. This is always temporary. Right. A child that gets placed with us could be with us for a week to to a couple months. It just depends. So the ORR is working to vet their sponsor. So most children who come into the United States have a piece of paper with a phone number and okay. that's their sponsor. It could be an aunt or an uncle often is another family member who's already here. And so they're able to call that person. And then it's, it's just a process. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of people. Right. If the just, opportunity of adoption came up at some point, have you thought of that? Or is that ever going um, to be on the cards? It, it, it will, it would. They have to become American yeah, citizens at one point. Yeah, it, it won't, it can't happen with these children because they're not uh, okay. U.S. citizens. Right. That lost parental rights. Yeah. Just are separated. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, worst case scenario is a, a, a next of kin, a sponsor is not found and they are deported. That, oh my goodness, oh. you've got to be kidding. That's very interesting. Well, the U.S. can't mm. legally keep them here. Right. You know, then you get into, right. be careful my terminology, but you get into other issues if you yes. file that in here, even if they, we don't have a solution per se, so. A dire situation. Wow. It really, it really speaks to how important having a healthy foundation, even in the time that you get to have them is. So God bless you for what you're doing. Absolutely. Mm. You. I'm curious about something earlier when you said your husband and you had to get on the same page about how to do this. I mean, what for those people, I'm sure, who are going to consider all those options and, 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 and analyze this, you know, what, what, what was that conversation? What do you have to consider when you really commit to this? It's a great question. And I think it's different for every family, but for us personally, language so we speak spanish but our children are um you know very basic vocabulary they know they know literally vocabulary words and a few phrases so we had to we had to say okay like we're going to be speaking a lot more spanish and we want our children to not feel frustrated um just just things that i'll be brutally honest like it's inconvenient 
to to bring another child into your home. Yes. You had to weigh those costs and, and deem the sacrifice worth it. And, and we did. But I'm not going to lie that it was a wrestle. And we had to say, yes, it's okay that we can't do this, this, and this right now. And just trust that God is greater. He's going to meet the needs and the places that we feel like our costs, I can say now, even in just our short time, um, it's okay. He, he fills our hearts and, and yeah, I'm not saying, oh, we're rewarded or we've seen this side of heaven, a reward for giving this up. Actually not. Um, but it's okay. These children are worth it. And so, um, just the dynamic with our own children, conveniences and, and just, um, can we do this? Can we really take another child in not knowing what their behaviors are going to be right. like, how yeah. they're going to sleep, etc. I've heard that if every Christian family would come and take one child, that it would actually it'd be annihilated. Mm. That's, that, that's what I've heard. I think it would be less than that. It's not even every. It's um, yeah. like so in our area. I just had a meeting this afternoon. Regardless, and, and it's a mission right there, folks. Yeah, no, yeah. it's like 10 percent. If ten percent, so I'm in that's central Pennsylvania. If ten percent of Christians um, did foster care, it would be eliminated in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So it's not even all. It's ten percent. Wow. So part of my curiosity is um, just listening to you talk. Um, fostering is definitely a ministry, um, but to kind of personalize it, I want to see if you can share with us maybe a way that you feel your personal faith journey and your walk has been strengthened or, or things that people can look for. So not just the challenges, but some of the wins, you know, what are some of the places you've really seen growth um, in this journey? Well, it's hard to not mention the challenges in that, but I would yeah. say really truly like when when you're just having to be so patient with a child my own children but when it's not my child and i i don't know why they're acting a certain way usually with mine i can i can pinpoint uh -huh, uh -huh. but just our at the beginning of this year before we even knew we would step into this we felt like god put a scripture on our heart from daniel 2 and it says he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding he reveals deep and secret secret things. And I have pressed in to that scripture and God has just given me wisdom moment by moment. It's just all these little things sprinkled through the day and little breakthroughs and, and on this roller coaster at times of, of loving him where I'm like, okay, that was a win. Like he, he ate more than rice and beans or, um, I mean, honestly he ate, um, little things and just God giving me wisdom and promptings for like, say this or do this. Um, and so it just pressing in to God. Of, and like I said earlier, God, help me help him. I've prayed that more than I have just maybe in my normal life. I don't always feel such a tangible need for the help of God mm. as I have and wanting this child mm -hmm. to be healed and and wow. pray the trauma miraculously and supernaturally is released from his body. And, and so it's, it's taken me in deeper places in those ways. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Betsy, for sharing your story. I, I've, I've definitely learned some things and I can feel the experience that you're going through and I hope it inspires a lot of people. And so if you're feeling that call out there, 
There are several organizations I know. Betsy uh, mentioned one of them, or the Urban Strategies, which is local to your area, correct? In in Waco area, right? If you're interested, of course, as she said, you have to go through training, but the opportunities are out there. So if you feel called in this way, uh, please look into those opportunities and help these kids. Let's turn to a focus on the fullness of prayer. Yeah, I, I love praying through through scripture. And so uh, the Psalms have been uh, good for my soul. Um, I also have um, a, a devotional written from Tim Keller on, on um, a day of the week through the Psalms. And I love reading that every day and praying through, um, you know, uh, one of the Psalms. I, I, I love the Psalms because it's, it's a lot of times David just, you know, opening up his heart to God, um, even in many ways, screaming to the Lord when he's struggling and grieving. And I think oftentimes we, we think prayer has to be very professional to the Lord and as if we were in a business meeting, but he's our dad, you know, he's, he's my father. And so he knows what I'm going through even before I tell him. And so those are the sweet moments to share, man, I'm stressed at work. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. You know, I'm, I'm worrying about this and that. I'm worried about finding whatever it may be. Um, and I'm a warrior naturally as a person, my wife will tell you, um, you know, and, and so just going to him and sharing how I feel uh, in the mornings is, is good for me. Well, thank you for that. Um, I think that example is going to be a good example for at least me. I can get really busy. So I, 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 I let that quiet time go real fast. That's the first thing to go is that first 15 minutes of quiet Same. time. <laughs> I just before we close, I want to say this. Uh, I've been reading a bunch of verses on the foreigner, and I will read this one from Ezekiel, which really just struck me. You shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the aliens who reside among you and have begotten children among you. They shall be to you citizens of Israel with you that they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. Mm. So they're citizens, they're with us. That's what it's saying. So we hope that you follow the biblical example. I mean, that's that at least struck me. So yes. I, I will say it, it strikes me and sort of opened my heart on this issue. So it's not me going, you know, you need to do this. It just opened my heart and I hope it opens your heart more fully. And we'll see you next time on The Full Life for more conversations.